episode three of Good Grief, a podcast dedicated to having a real and honest conversation about mourning and loss. Each episode is based on a theme that we'll unpack with expert interviews, novice slice of life anecdotes, and where appropriate, some relevant cultural references. Full disclosure, at the beginning of 2018, I lost my mom to a very brief but brutal fight with lung cancer. We were extremely close and I was pretty lost when she passed. For now, this podcast is mostly a journal of my personal experience, an attempt to share what my grieving process has been like in hopes that anyone going through something similar will find this helpful. It's truly been helpful for me. This week's theme, Schrodinger's Cat. When I woke up in my mom's home office the morning after she passed away, I lay still for a while, just scanning the walls the way I had done so many visits before. In that suspension of half-wakefulness with my fiancé sleeping by my side, I'd forgotten why I was there, what the circumstances were of this particular visit. Had my stepdad started boiling the water for the French press yet? Did my mom get up in time for yoga, or would she still be answering emails at the kitchen table listening to NPR? I took inventory of the pictures of us on the wall. Together throughout the years, it was like an anthology of my regrettable hairstyles. Honing in on one, trying to remember if I'd posted it to Instagram yet. Pictures of me in my high school frosted tips phase always performed particularly well. Then I heard the stirring of a house full of transient guests who'd made the pilgrimage across the country to say goodbye. My mom's condo was now a halfway house for morning southerners, and she wouldn't be there to show them all of her air plants or her extensive collection of esoteric knickknacks and niche art. In that moment, everything rushed back to me, and I had the humbling realization that there was no longer any person in the world who would ever want all of these pictures of me. all the barstool philosophy debates I've ever been in, few have been as practical as those on the topic of Schrodinger's cat. Here's a very simplified version of this thought experiment. So imagine there's a cuddly little tabby cat sealed in a box. There's also some poisonous gas in there and there's a 50% chance that it will kill him. It's just pretend here, it's gonna be okay. Until the box is opened, no one knows if the cat is dead or alive. And in a way, the cat's actually both. That is to say that until someone opens the box to find out if the cat is dead or alive, until someone observes the outcome and there's a 50-50 chance of both outcomes, we live in a world where both outcomes exist. In the instance of our little tabby, he's both alive and dead at the same time. This is referred to as superposition. I'm just mentioning that because it's a really cool word. Here's where things get a little tricky. You're tasked with opening the box. Besides being potentially a little morbid, it also means that you're responsible for taking the tabby out of superposition. If the gas was lethal, you're eliminating the possibility that it is still alive. You are, in an abstract sense, 
killing the cat. Now, to be fair, this isn't the point of the thought experiment. It wasn't designed as a moral test, but to me, it's super interesting. And it definitely reflects my approach to looking at my credit score or how many unresolved parking tickets I may have. When I was 9 or 10, my mom and I lived in a town called Newhall, about 20 miles northeast of downtown LA. A suburban outpost in the shadows of Six Flags Magic Mountain, Newhall's residents were mostly low-income folks priced out of the city, off-duty police, teachers, migrant field workers, and day laborers. Every other corner was occupied by elote vendors, and on Sundays, the Salvadorian matriarchs would walk up and down the blocks selling their handmade pupusas. Sometimes there were gunshots and sirens. It wasn't a nice place but there were nice people there just trying to make it work and we were all in it together. My mom commuted to the city for a while and then she stopped shortly after the LA riots when she got trapped on the 405 on her way to pick me up from daycare. She worked from home for a while and something in her changed around then. Maybe it was because she was so isolated, maybe it was the political climate, but her tolerance for our situation got really low. Money was tight, and I'd find her crying at home at night from time to time. Then, something awful happened. The kind of thing that was so bad that it actually gave my mom agency. Like, suffering through it made her feel like she'd earned the right to do what she actually deserved to do. After the Northridge earthquake, we didn't have water for a few days. Our stucco duplex was knocked off of its foundation, and there were cracks in the walls big enough to see daylight through. The whole neighborhood was pretty messed up, and occasionally, we wouldn't get mail for a week or so. My mom didn't think much of it. Then there were these cigarette butts that would collect on the sidewalk in front of our house. A few window screens pulled back. Phantom knocks on the front door. Then, one night, my mom was reading in bed. She was sitting with her back against the open window. Like something out of a bad horror film, someone reached through the window, wrapped their arms around her, and tried to pull her out of the house. She fought back, and our lame, ill-trained mutt dog, for once in his entire life, did exactly what he was supposed to do and lunged at the attacker. By the time I ran into the room, it was all over. When the police came, they told us that we weren't the only ones that this person had been stalking women all over the neighborhood, which made us feel better and worse at the same time. For the next two weeks, our neighbor, Jason, slept outside of my mom's bedroom with a baseball bat. He was a jazz theory student from CalArts, and at 6'2 and 160 pounds soaking wet, the act was more of a formality than a practical defense strategy for our household. Within a few months, we were gone. My mom had dreamed of leaving Newhall until the place had become an actual nightmare. There was a small town up the coast, and as Art Alexakis once said, it's just a name on the map, but it sounds like heaven to me. The box had been opened, and we'd been pulled out of superposition. And though we really couldn't afford to go, we sure as hell couldn't afford to stay. Let's just leave this place, go to Summerland, just a name on the map. Be just how we wanna be. No one here really can.
There is another theory, sort of related to Schrodinger's cat, that you can spin out on for a while. It states that the probability of anything existing at all, you, me, Twinkies, music, anything, is so infinitesimally low, and the universe is so infinitely large, that it is just as probable that there is an infinite number of worlds identical to ours, except one thing, like a world where my mom never met my dad, and one where she met my dad, but they never got divorced. A world where Jason actually was a 250-pound linebacker. A world where her stalker actually drug her out of the window. And if you think about it like this, Schrodinger's cat is always in superposition. Because even if you discover him dead in this world, there is a world that exists where he lives. In the days after my mom passed away, I had to call friends and family and Jason. I had to message her estranged best friends with whom she'd gone to Live Aid with and watched U2 play Sunday Bloody Sunday for the first time ever in America. I had to open that box over and over again to tell people that this was not the world in which my mom survived pneumonia long enough to endure chemo, long enough to dance at my wedding, long enough to hold her grandchild, long enough to amass a whole new catalog of pictures of us to hang on her walls. But I take comfort in thinking that there is a world where she did. This has been episode three of Good Grief. Thank you so much for listening. I know this episode was a little heady. I'm sorry, but I appreciate you staying along for the ride uh, and humoring me. If you like this, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your podcasty friends. If you have any questions, comments, or you just need to reach out, um, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Blake of Today, or just email me at Blake of Today at gmail.com. Until next time, um, please take care of yourselves. And I'll leave you with this line from the song On Your Porch by The Format. It's a song that brought me a lot of comfort when my mom was sick. Um, it's uh, about the lead singer Nate's dad being sick in the hospital um, and I just could relate to it a lot me I ran I couldn't even look at him for fear I'd have to say goodbye and as I start to leave he grabs me by the shoulder and he tells me what's left to lose you've done enough and if you fail well then you fail but not to us because these last three years I know they've been hard but now it's time to get out of the desert into the sun, even if it's lost. Cause these last three years, I know they've been hard. But now it's time to get out of the desert and into the sun, even if it's lonely.